This morning, we're continuing our series, What Is? And I have the unique, distinct pleasure and delightful opportunity to teach on what is a spiritual gift or what is spiritual gifting. Now, we all come from different backgrounds and may have many preconceptions or understandings about spiritual gifts based on our experience or exposure. For me, I grew up in a fairly fundamental, independent, King James Baptist church where I cannot remember spiritual gifts being talked about. However, I did go to a Christian school, and I had many classmates that attended more charismatic churches, so occasionally I was exposed to the topic. I remember somewhere between my uh, freshman, actually my freshman year, I had taken a liking to a young lady, and uh, she was in a different grade, so we didn't have any classes together. So our only means of communication was passing notes. Now, uh, for you young people, we didn't have smartphones, so there were no text messages. Uh, There were no, like, by the time I graduated, maybe a dozen students had some form of a cell phone, but text messages, you had to pay per text message. So you had to be very careful about how many of those you sent. The world has changed. But so uh, I had, uh, we'd been passing notes for a little bit, and so the time had come, I I wanted to, uh, you know, ask her the elusive question, will you go with me? Does anybody else... I was talking to Brent about this this morning. Does anybody else remember, will you go with me? Okay, thank you. Uh, Ryan and Brent do not remember that. I mean, like, I don't know where we were going, uh, but it's not like, will you go out with me? Because, like, we weren't going out anywhere. We were just, you know, going steady. That's, you, going steady, that's, that makes, uh, that rings true. So I send her this note, and uh, strategically, I do this on a Friday afternoon, because uh, if... She comes back with a no. I've got the whole weekend to recover, recuperate, make my next move. So, uh, my, you know, I got this nervous pit in my stomach for those final classes of the day. Finally, I go back to my locker and I find she'd slipped the note in. And sure enough, well, now I got to run to catch my bus, uh, and and then. I go home for the weekend. We don't live close to each other. I don't have her phone number. So there's no communication over the weekend waiting till, you know, we'll just pick this relationship back up on Monday morning. Monday morning, she comes in. Uh, We don't get to see each other for very long before first bell. And so she just walks up to me, hands me a note, turns around and walks away. Get to homeroom class. I'm unfolding it. Some teacher can't see and I'm starting to read and it wasn't a particularly short note. She had the whole weekend to write it. And she's telling me about her weekend. And she, sure enough, uh, she went to church that weekend. And a prophet had come to her church. And that prophet apparently told her to break up with me. What, what do you do in a situation like that? For me, I just can't thank that prophet enough. That's right, babe. He's looking at you. That's right. It's only right for, uh, for us to um, embarrass our wives while we're up here. So 
I promise no kissing stories. Two weeks ago, Ryan used the Great Commission as a uh, as our springboard, the call to make disciples, to talk about discipleship. And I was deeply challenged with what God had to say through His Word. If we're on, if we're honest, uh, it is a daunting task. I want to leave us encouraged this morning by identifying that we are not alone or underquipped, underquipped, ill-equipped. I've just made up a new word for us there this morning. You are not underquipped. Write that down. But before we jump into spiritual gifts, which is our topic for today, let's just talk about the gift of the Spirit himself. I'm going to be uh, start off in John chapter 14. This is the teaching from Jesus directly to his 12 disciples in the upper room. He's already washed their feet. Much of what he has to say in John 14, 15, 16 relates to the Holy Spirit. And while I believe that verses are best read and understood in context, for our time's sake, I will be skipping over in these three chapters to highlight where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. So begin, uh, John chapter 14, I'm going to begin in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'm going to skip to verse 26, where he says that this helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I'm going to jump a chapter ahead where he continues up in verse 26 of chapter 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the, from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Nevertheless, Actually, we're jumping now to chapter 16, verse 7. As I said, he teaches on the Holy Spirit multiple times through here. Chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And finally, in chapter 16, beginning verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I'm going to jump to one final section in Acts. So after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Jesus returns to the Father. Before he returns to the Father, he's giving us his final parting words, the last things that Jesus said on this earth before he ascended. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I'm going to try to keep some highlights for us and bring those to our attention before we jump ahead and to look at how the Holy Spirit makes himself manifest in our lives through spiritual gifting. First thing that I want to bring your attention to is Jesus said that it is better for us that he goes away so that the Holy Spirit can come. This is a fascinating statement, and I don't have any deep theological explanation as to why Jesus said this. He knows I don't, but it was necessary for Jesus to go away for the Holy Spirit to come. In addition, Jesus says that is a better thing. You know, you think, I want to be in the presence of Jesus. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus says it is better for you and for us that he goes away so that the Holy Spirit can come. And when this Holy Spirit comes, what will he do? What does he do? Well, first off, he helps. He's called the helper. Or in other translations, he's the comforter, the advocate, the counselor. So if you have your worship guide, this is, I think, probably the first fill-in-the-blank for you if you want to take notes and follow along this morning. But the Holy Spirit helps us, and he dwells in and with us. These all come out of these scriptures that we read. He teaches us all things, and he brings to our remembrance those things that we've heard. In addition, he keeps us from falling away. And he convicts the world of sin. You know, isn't it comforting to know that it's not your job or my job to convict people of sin? You know, you can come to me and you can point out my faults, which are many. But if there's any conviction there, it's not because of you, because the Holy Spirit works into me reveal and open those things. And so when we go and we preach the gospel to people, we share the gospel with our neighbor, it's not our job to convict him of their sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He will glorify Jesus. Another notable watermark of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, he does not draw attention to himself. He is all about Jesus. Finally, he gives power. That's from Acts 1.8. Now, do these things sound appealing to you? Like power, teaching us, remembrance, dwelling in and with us, keeping us from falling away. Now, do you, are we experiencing this reality in our own lives? Do you perhaps feel, as I have felt in the past, that there was something supernatural that called me to faith in Christ. But since then, I feel like sometimes I'm struggling under my own strength to follow him, to become more like him. 
I think that's natural leaning for us. But he provides for us power through his spirit and through his gifting. So when I struggle to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, when I struggle to love my neighbor as myself or to make disciples, perhaps because I am not leaning enough upon the resource of power that is Holy Spirit. Not only do we give, get the gift of the Spirit himself, the Spirit in turn gives us gifts. And so that's going to be our topic this morning, really looking at the gifts the Spirit gives. I'm going to give you a definition of spiritual gifts, and then we're going to look at some passages that list out spiritual gifts, and then we'll ultimately look at what those can do in our lives. Spiritual gifts are capacities or abilities that are imparted to believers by the Holy Spirit to enable them to go beyond the limitations of their finite humanity to benefit the common good of the body and bring glory to God. If you didn't notice, you follow along, all of your fill-in-the-blanks there have bees in them to help you remember that. Spiritual gifts are capacities or abilities imparted to believers by the Holy Spirit to enable them to go beyond the limitation of their finite humanity to benefit the common good of the body and bring glory to God. So with that as a starting definition, let's take a look at some places in Scripture where spiritual gifts are mentioned. Now, quick preface. I want to identify there is no comprehensive list of spiritual gifts. And in fact, there may be gifts that the Spirit gives us that are not specifically outlined in Scripture. We give Him freedom to give gifts, and whether that be talents, passions, skills into our lives, outside of whatever Scripture might identify specifically, and I also do not intend to define every spiritual gift for you this morning, or else we would be here for that hour plus time. The first place chronologically that we find a list of spiritual gifts is in Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We have several, we've got a list here of gifts, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, 
leadership, and mercy. The next place chronologically in Scripture where we find gifts, Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe not chronologically. I'm going out of order here. But Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. More gifts listed here. There seems to be a gift around apostles, apostleship. Prophets again mentioned. Shepherd teachers who I understand to be pastors. Pastor is a shepherd or an elder. Two words for the same thing, pastor or elder. And then we find the largest gifts, list of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we'll spend most of the rest of our morning. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so this morning, for all of you, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse. No one can, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And these are all empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. All right, we've got another list wisdom, knowledge, faith. Healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment. That's what I, what I use, the word that I would use for uh, distinguishing between spirits. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. For those that are writing, fantastic. Hopefully I gave you enough space in that blank or that Ryan did because he's the one who actually did the worship guide, but. I sent it to him. And, uh, <clears throat> and so one final list we'll look at as we jump to the final verses of, well, to later in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28, is now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, Helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. We have this list here, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, new blanks, helping, and administrating. 
tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, before we go further, I think it's important to acknowledge and address the what we call the sign gifts. These would be, at the least, interpretation of tongues. I have debated within my mind back and forth in the weeks leading up to this morning whether I wanted to talk about this and what I could say that might be helpful. Because if you've been around here long enough, uh, you probably have not seen a whole lot of these in action. Let's think about maybe why that is. Paul spends a lot of time in chapter 14, 1 Corinthians, addressing prophecy and tongues in particular because they were, there were abuses of those gifts in even the first century. But a lot of our understanding of whether these gifts are active today or not hinges on a verse in the middle of chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13.10. Let's read 8.9.10. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so the question to answer is, what is the perfect thing to come? may be helpful to understand the word translated perfect here isn't meant to imply without fault. It's more complete, mature. Uh, those are two other ways that it's been translated. And there are two prevailing understandings of what the perfect thing is. My upbringing, historically, would be that the perfect thing is the word of God. That is, once the Bible was complete, and we can go back to the second installment of our series on our review of what is the Bible. But when the Bible was complete, then the gifts done in part would pass away or cease. This is how I was brought up, and which is why we didn't see any of these in my home church. The another prevailing understanding is that the perfect thing is the return of Jesus. And the latter of these two is how most charismatics, Pentecostals, assemblies of gods, how they would understand it. There is some challenge uh, when these sign, because these sign gifts seem to disappear in church history for more than a millennia. And so we went for more than a thousand years in the life of the church between Acts and uh, really 1800s, where these sign gifts, were, we don't have a lot of record of their being used. So these are your two prevailing. I'm going to give you two more ways that I think these can be looked at today. Uh, one is the perfect thing can be spiritual maturity. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, verse 10, he talks about that the man of God may be perfect, may be mature. And so that's very much connected to the same word here, that the perfect thing can be spiritual maturity. There is 
And some immediate support for this in the passage, verse 11, he talks about when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So perhaps these sign gifts are connected to spiritual maturity. And finally, uh, the perfect thing could be the Word of God, which is what I said before. However, could be contextual to the culture. Here's what I mean by that. The command in Acts was to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Additionally, the Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28, 18-20, we are called to make disciples of all nations. Based on the revelation that John wrote about, God intends to see the gospel shared and become effective with every tribe, tongue, and nation. Perhaps some of these more miraculous gifts serve a purpose in those places where the gospel is just beginning to find its roots, where there is no translation of the word of God. And this, I think there is a lot of testimony about these sign gifts in use in mission work where someone can speak the word of God, preach the word of God in whether it be English or whatever language they're preaching in, and those who are hearing actually hear the word of God in their own language and not in the language of the preacher. That's how I would understand tongues in this case. And so there are, uh, I think there is a place perhaps for these spiritual gifts to function in, um, in the places where the gospel, where the word of God has not yet been translated. Now, I'm not dogmatic about that. And I wanted to address this because like, you're not going to see these necessarily in practice around here. We should still continue to pray for miracles by all means. And when healings do come, we know that they don't come because of a person except that they come because of the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus performs those, accomplishes those through the Spirit. All right, let's move on. Y'all with me? Is it? Come on, wake up, people. Spiritual gifts are for the body. In Paul's greeting to the Corinthians... Back in chapter 1, verse 7, he's, he identifies that they were not lacking in any gift. And I believe that God has given us, Fellowship Baptist Church, everything that we need to accomplish the mission he has set before us. We don't have any excuse. But in order to fulfill the mission, every member of the body must do their part. We saw in Ephesians 4 that the shepherd teacher, I believe the office uh, correlates to the office of pastor elder, is given to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. The New Testament church model is not one of outsourcing the mission to the pastoral staff. Every member is gifted for the benefit, for the common good of all. Paul addresses this in the middle of chapter 13, which we skipped over. 
and we're going to read now. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, in the middle of chapter 12. Did I say 13? I mean chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If we jump to verse 26, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. One member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, if you have a football team that's composed only of quarterbacks, they are going to get crushed by the opposing team's offensive line, right? Every member of the team plays a part and is important, just as every part of your body has relevance. I, I remember in college, uh, we, Rachel and I traveled on a team singing at different churches. And at one point in time, the president of the college who was with us, uh, I, re I, I remember it almost to, like it was yesterday. I walked up to the van we were riding in, and uh, one of the other uh, college chaperones that was traveling with us was like just standing there and said, wait, do you see a finger? And I was like, what are you talking about? Well, apparently he had just closed the door on the president's finger and part of it had come off. And so we were all standing looking for the finger. I'll give you the finger. No way, sorry. I apologize for that, but there is some levity for us all. And so the, the, the <laughs> I've lost Ryan. Now I'm not going to be able to recuperate, recover here. And so, uh, the, but it was just, it was the tip of his thumb and he was talking about, I was, uh, I think it was the tip of his, yeah, the tip of his right thumb, and uh, he was talking about like, how, much, how much he missed the tip of his thumb. Like, buttoning his shirt, that was the one thing he had the most trouble with because as a, the buttons are right for a man to wear. You push through, push the button through with your right thumb. And so how important just that small part of his body was that he had maybe not have thought about before. 
Certainly, maybe it's not an eye or an ear, but we need to recognize and realize that all parts of the body are important, and all parts of the body contribute to the growth of the church and the accomplishing of our mission in the world. We'll look at our definition one more time. Spiritual gifts are capacities or abilities imparted to believers by the Holy Spirit to enable them to go beyond the limitations of their finite humanity to benefit the common good of the body and bring glory to God. But I want to end with uh, a fourth point this morning is a better way. Call it the way of love. Paul ends chapter chapter 12 by saying, after he's talked and given this list of all these spiritual gifts, he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. The last phrase there. And then chapter 13 follows. Chapter 13 is perhaps the most used wedding scripture as it speaks to the necessity of love. So we're going to look for those verses real quick. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's interesting because similarly when Paul addressed the Romans with the first list of these spiritual gifts that we saw in Romans 12, he also follows with a short treatise on love, where he says, let love be genuine and love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. I want to make this connection for us today, that when we look at spiritual gifts, and we can't go through every single gift and and help you uh, identify what spiritual gifting you might have. I will say there are some resources. You can just pop into Google, free, free spiritual gifts test. You'll find several different results. Maybe more helpful for you to just look at the list, uh, look at these different lists of spiritual gifts and start to think like, hey, what resonates with me? What do I connect with? And then, you know, Maybe look at how the, because I think a lot of spiritual gifting comes from natural gifting. It's, it's like, it's the power, it's the energy plugged into it. You can have a, uh, you have a nice, you can have a, uh, you have a really nice automobile and you can put very cheap gas in it and it may not run as well as it should. You, you take a, a jalopy, is that? That's uh, some old, you take a jalopy and you put nitrous oxide in it. See what that thing does. Like the, the spirit is in us very often that power, that fuel that 
takes our natural gifting and, and puts power to it. And so maybe you, maybe you go back and look and, and read and think about that. But when the, when the Spirit does come and when the Spirit is active in us, it's going to produce fruit. Now, there's going to be a lot of the Spirit activity that is for the common good. And when the Spirit works in you to accomplish things for the common good, for the mission of the body, you get some benefit too. And you get the benefit because the Spirit is bearing its fruit in you. So I want to connect this fact that he talks about the spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and then moves on to love. Just as in Romans 12, he talks about the spiritual gift and moves on to love and talk about what is the fruit of the Spirit. And this takes us to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus, to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When He comes and is active in your life, it will produce these fruits. And then you will see whether that is through generosity, whether that's through helps or service. Elsewhere, there's a few other spiritual gifts that are we didn't cut to because they're kind of isolated. But Paul says that singleness can be a spiritual gift. Uh, we know that hospitality is a spiritual gift. And these are just because someone is hospitable, just because somebody is helpful just because somebody is generous and, and contributes may or may not mean that that is their spiritual gifting, but it, it is a lot about perspective and whether you are in your hospitality, how much are you relying on the spirit? Because people in this world can be jerks. I don't know if you figured that out. And sometimes I need help in dealing with them. I took a, one more last anecdote in my life. I took a spiritual gifts test. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan, of, necessarily a huge fan of them, uh, is uh, I took a, a spiritual gifts test when I was early in ministry. And uh, while it may have highlighted some things in my life where I thought there were some strengths, um, it, the, this particular gift test gave me a ranking in all of the gifts that it was working on. And I ranked lowest in mercy. That was my lowest spiritual gift. And what that did for me is uh, it just it was an awareness thing. I had to think about, like, was I really an unmerciful person? And... This was 
three kids. So, um, I would like to think that if I truly was not gifted in mercy at the time, that God has done a work in my life. Hopefully, hopefully, I think actually uh, uh, the band members hopefully can hopefully testify that I, I feel like I'm a pretty merciful person. Uh, thank you. Um, I mean, it. Uh, people, people are uh, those jerks that I have to deal with a lot of times. I mean, I have mercy for them, and I tried also to teach my kids mercy. Do my kids like mercy? You like mercy? Wait, you're shrugging. Like, nah. Okay, we're going to cut back on the mercy at home. That's for sure. If I can't, if I can't get some mercy for me right now, we're cutting back on your mercy at home. That's right. It's not do unto others as they have done unto you. It's do unto others as you would have them do. So, you can take a spiritual gifts test. Uh, if you're here this morning, I would just I would look at the list. I would. Try to think about, and, and then I would just pray. I would pray about how you can be a part of the mission here. I'm excited about next week because it's Easter, a big deal for us, right? I'm excited about the following week because we're going to start talking about our mission and mission statement and where we are, what are our core values as a church. And and it's going to be a lot about every member being a part of that. Every part of the body playing their part. And we don't want you to come and play your part out of your own strength, but out of the strength that God provides through his Holy Spirit living and active in you through some of these gifts. But maybe you are here this morning and you don't know this Holy Spirit. because. You've never trusted in Christ's death on your behalf to pay your penalty for sin. And so that maybe that Holy Spirit, what he's doing for you today is he's doing that convicting. It is his job to convict you of your sin and to bring you through mercy. It says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. So we want to come this morning and embrace what the Spirit has done and is for us. And remember, when the Spirit shows up, He's not about Himself. He's not going to draw attention to Himself. He's going to draw attention to Jesus. So we want to bring attention to Jesus this morning. In a minute, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song about the Holy Spirit and, and inviting His presence to be active and manifest here so that it will bring glory to Jesus, that it will bring glory to God. And I'm going to be down here in the front. We're going to have some deacons down here in the front. If you want to, I want to pray with you, if you've got any questions about our church, about what it means to have the Holy Spirit in your life, about what it means to be a part of this church, to be a member of the body, I'd be happy to, to answer and address and that with you. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll be hanging out down here after service, if anybody got some really tricky questions they want to say, ask about spiritual gifts. I'm not an expert, but I will. Uh, I'll share with you what I what I've gleaned from study, and then we can look at it further, study together. Let me pray.
Father, you are a good father. And uh, we rejoice today as we celebrate and recognize Jesus coming into Jerusalem. The, as they recognized on that day that he comes bringing and bearing salvation. But then, Lord, as it is maybe difficult for us to understand, but we rejoice that Jesus has gone so that your Holy Spirit can be here, that that would be a better thing for us, that it would be beneficial to us because you come in us and dwell in us and with us, and we long for the power that you provide. Living this life under our own strength is not scalable. It is not, and it's not what you've called us to. So we are asking for your spirit to be active in us, to energize us, to empower us, to fill us with his gifts and with his presence so that we can do the work that you've called us to and that Jesus can receive the glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.